<clears throat> Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Parashas Miketz, and is also Shabbos Hanukkah. And we will continue <clears throat> with the halachas of Sneas in the workplace. So I want to make a distinction before we continue with this, that there are some things which are halacha, and everything we're going to talk about tonight is actually clear halacha, things that are in Shulchan Aruch, very clear halacha. And there's other things that are things that are expected from, from women and men, and it maybe won't necessarily be traced to a line in Shulchan Aruch, but it's conduct. And that, Mirza Hashem, we'll get to hopefully next week. But the things we're going to be talking about tonight are things that are actual, very clear halachas. <clears throat> so the first thing I want to talk about is touch. Now, we all know it's forbidden for a woman to touch a man or a man to touch a woman if they're not married. And this can be a very severe iser depending on the circumstance. So, for example, if... Uh, a married woman touches another man or a man touches another married woman and it's done what is known as l'shem chiba for the purpose of friendship, affection, love. It is a l'shem in the Torah. Um, according to many Rishayim, it's, it's uh, the l'shem l'sikravu, not to come near someone you're prohibited to marry. And it's something, okay, according to the Rambam, we're required we're required to give up our lives rather than trans- transgress. It's Yerg Valyavr. It's part of the general prohibition of Gilu Arayas, which is one of the top three, uh, together with Avedah Zara and, and murder. It's, it's more stringent than Chil Shabbos, more serious than Chil Shabbos. And that's why touching is a boundary that really can't be breached under any circumstances. In, in circumstances where it's usher, which we're going to discuss, but the cases that it's usher, there's really no room for leniency. If a from man is lax about touching women in his office or vice versa, it's a very, very big question mark on their authenticity as from people. <clears throat> now, the emphasis here is their chiva. Chazal only prohibited this if there is an element of affection in the touch. Now, this being the case, it is permitted to touch in a non-affectionate, fa- a non-affectionate fashion. So the clearest application of this would be when a male doctor touches a woman or a female doctor touches a man. Likewise, if someone falls down and they need help getting up, that kind of touch is not considered derech chiba. I, I don't think a, a woman or a man should be the first one to run and help the opposite gender get up if there's man or woman around to help. But uh, if, if there isn't, so then it's, uh, that's okay. It's not their chiba. The big question everyone's familiar with is shaking hands. Now, this is a very fine line. But as we've explained, this fine line separates an isser, which is a terror transgression and perhaps we're obligated to give up our lives for, and something which is protocol and etiquette. So it's a difficult situation to be in. Do we perceive shaking hands as derechiba or not? So now again, it's important to realize that derechiba doesn't mean love. Uh, it doesn't even have to mean affection. It could even just mean friendliness. But it's 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 a problem if it's if it's derechiba. It's a problem. So 
the argument is that shaking hands is a simple protocol of being civil and polite and refraining is seen as insulting and rude, and that's why it should be allowed. And the Paiskim are divided. How to view this situation? Rav Moshe finds things that Saul prohibited it, although he acknowledged that there are those who allowed it, but he felt it was very difficult to draw the line, and it's possible that a handshake can have a moment extra, which is Darachibo, or the wrong intent, which would make it into Darachibo. So he prohibited it, and he, he yelled that there's no, no leniency here. And it can be very difficult to avoid these situations without significant embarrassment or awkwardness and it can cause possible damage to relationships and business and and it can just cause you know an a- added tension and awkwardness in in a in a business that you set up which one would be very happy to avoid <laughs> if they could so some place can do give the uh suggestion that you give the dead fish handshake you know where you leave your hand very limp my brother was once told by Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky Shlita, that you can shake hands once and then explain to that person that this is the last time. But that only helps you when what we're talking about is, um, uh, you know, when, when, when someone you don't have an ongoing relationship with, right? You know, so, so if it's a person you have an ongoing relationship with, so, so you can do that. You know, you can say that this is the first time and this is the last time, but if someone you're just meeting and the only time you're meeting them, obviously, it's not going to help you. So it's, it's, it's a difficult thing, and it's very worthwhile to be machmer as much as is possible. And obviously, you know, different situations can be discussed with the Rav to see what, what's the right approach. Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, who was the former Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, was introduced to the Queen of England, who offered her hand to him, and he refused to shake it. Now, this was a heavily filmed event. It was on TV, and there was cameras and reporters all over the place. And he still refused to shake it. And you can imagine how much pressure he was under. And interestingly, he he received an apology from the Queen's protocol experts, stating that it was official policy not to shake the hands of rabbis. So the Queen officially was supposed to know that. And it was a breach of protocol on her part, extending her hand. And he, he, he withstood this, which was very impressive. Another Isser, which is very clear in Shulchan Aruch, but for some reason seems to be largely uh, forgotten, is there is an Isser for opposite genders to greet and send regards to each other. Um, now, the Shulchan Aruch writes, let me just quote the, the language, he says like this, Ein shoyalem b'shloim isha klau, afila al-yidei shaliach, one may not ask a woman, it means the same thing, a woman can't ask a man, the same difference, so it's just phrased that way. One may not ask a woman, how are you doing? And even if you are sending regards, or even if it's her husband, it's prohibited. This is a very important protective boundary, which was made clear in halacha. It's not ashkafa. It's halacha. Women and men don't speak and socialize the same way men and men and women and women do. They can talk and converse, but it needs to be kept professional and distant. The paiskim on the side of Shulchan Aruch prohibit doing this even in a letter. Now, there is a leniency for a teacher, a rebbe, to inquire how their talmida or talmid is doing when speaking to them. And this is learned from none other than Elisha Hanavi, who when was approached by the Isha Shunamis, who was distraught at her child's death, he asked his 
his uh, helper Gechazi to in, to Bishol Bishloima to inquire how she's doing. And the idea is that the divide between a Rebbe and a student is sufficient enough that there shouldn't be any element of chiba in the asking. So that is a, a room for leniency. And likewise, I imagine we can apply this to saying shalom or how are you doing to a member of the opposite gender who is very aged, right? So if there's a huge age gap in between yourself and the other person, the other person is a Zaydi or an Elsa Zaydi, and, you know, or, or in a nursing home, so there, you know, that's not an issue. So you can address them that way. That's fine. Now, this halacha is different than the previous halacha. When we're talking about shaking hands, that's a very, very stringent ister, and there's really no leniency. If it's a, when it's a problem, there's no leniency. Here, we find somewhat of a leniency, and let me explain. Let's say, talking about saying good Shabbos on the street to someone from the opposite gender. Essentially, that should be avoided. That really is what Shulchan Aleph says. And a woman, not to a man, to a woman, woman to a man. We don't, they're not meant... Different opposite genders aren't meant to greet each other. However, and in many from communities, that's the way it is. Men and women don't greet each other on the street. In a, in a community such as this one, where men and women do greet each other on the street, and so much so that refraining from greeting or replying was, would be considered insulting, there it is permitted to greet and say good Shabbos and to reply in kind. And the concept here is that whenever the purpose of the greeting is simply not to offend someone, it's permitted. And this is called, there's, there's a term for this in Shulchan Aruch, it's called Hakal L'shem Shemayim. As long as you mean L'shem Shemayim, as long as the intent is pure, it's allowed. Now, this is not, again, this wouldn't be a hat regarding shaking hands or touch. Even though if a person gets offended, it's still not allowed to touch. You're not allowed to hug someone who wants you to hug them. Certainly, there's absolutely no hat for that. But it does apply to these lesser kinds of showing affection, such as greeting. And likewise, that if it's necessary to do it, just simply not to insult the other person as expected, as protocol, as politeness, that would be a hetter. And being that the nature of the greeting is clearly politeness and formality, it's allowed. That being said, again, it's important to refrain as much as possible. This is not just a frumkite. It's a halakha and shulchanarach, and it was enacted for the express purpose of keeping the relationship with the opposite gender distant and formal, and it's a very important getter. It's a very important guideline and and fence to to guard our tznias and guard our kedusha. Moving on to uh, Parshas Miketz, and we're going to actually what we'll be talking about is Hanukkah. We know that women are obligated to light nares Hanukkah, although the mitzvah of Hanukkah is mangrama, the mitzvah which is bound by time, generally women are not obligated. They hear there, what women are obligated is because this nace affected women who were included in the terrible decrees made by the Greeks. And in addition, the nace was brought on by a woman, well, the well-known Yehudas. We have been hugging which derive from the story of Yehudas as well. This is a halacha, right? The halacha shulchan aruch that, that a woman is obligated to light nares Hanukkah, but there is also minhagim. The women have a custom not to work during the time of halakhis nares, and both men and women eat cheese products during Hanukkah to commemorate the fact that Yehudas brought about the death of the general through feeding him cheese. And it's fascinating that we celebrate the fact that the cheese played a role in his downfall. And I mean, after all, what is important about the cheese? It was a very small vehicle in the process. Why make a big deal out of it? Truthfully, if anything, you would think the wine was much more important, and that's actually why he fell asleep. So why, why bother with the cheese? Why give it any kind of 
chashivus at all. And let's let's examine also the story of Yehudas as well. The, there's different versions of the story, and there's a possibility that there was more than there was more than one story. So one of the versions here was the Mishabur brings down that she was the daughter of Yechanan, who was the kind Gadol, and there was a decree on Kali Yisrael at the time that all women who were about to get married had to sleep with the commander of their city before getting married. A horrible, disgusting edict meant to dehumanize and demoralize and destroy all vestiges of purity in Kali Yisrael. The Kali Gadol himself represented the highest level of purity and Kedusha that existed in Kali Yisrael. He was the Gadol Hadar, by definition. And his daughter being taken for this purpose would have struck a killing blow in the hearts of the Jews. So Yehudas performed an act of tremendous heroism. She risked her life to kill the general of the army and had tremendous bitachan. She relied on Hashem. What end? What, what, what was the purpose? The revolt hadn't really begun yet. The Hashemunayim hadn't banded together yet. They were totally under the yoke of the Ivanim. It was seemingly a futile act of defiance, which was clearly going to seal her, seal her fate, and probably the whole family and city to death, but... The truth was, it accomplished the opposite. Her heroic killing of Valiparnus began the rebellion, caused the Hashemunayim to come together and stand against Yivanim, and ultimately won back the base of Mikdash and brought back Tahara to Kali Yisrael. And there's another version, and as I said before, it seems that both happened, that Yehudis was the sister of Yehuda HaMakabi, so that, according to that, she was the daughter of Matis Yahu. And she was destined, again, to be given to the general before her wedding. So on the eve of her wedding, when she was supposed to be dressed in her wedding gown, she put on sackcloth and she tore her wedding gown and she berated her family for standing by and letting this happen. And this encouraged and motivated Yehuda, who then started the rebellion at that moment. And then they went and ultimately killed the general. One Sefer writes that in the Torah, by the story of Dina, it says that Shimon and Levi said, in response to Yaakov's rebuke, they said, How could we allow our sister to become a Zaina, a harlot? And the word Zaina, according to this Sefer Torah, was written with a big Zion. We actually don't. But according to him, it was written with a big Zion. And it hinted that this will be a battle cry in the future, where Yehuda will call out to everyone to join his rebellion with this motivation. How could we allow our sisters to be turned into a Zaina? And that all began with Yehudas. I think the importance of cheese and Yehudas who killed the general, and Yehudas who motivated Yehuda Hamakabi, the message and the importance of them is the same. Are we supposed to learn from this, that women are meant to go to war, to act in stealth, kill generals of the opposing armies? That's not the message, clearly. I think that a message here is that Nisim can happen, rebellions can happen, but everything needs a catalyst. And the catalyst to begin the war of Hanukkah was Yehudas. Either she motivated Yehuda by demonstrating how dire the situation had become, or she herself went out on a limb and risked her life to kill the general. The outcome was exceedingly important, and we celebrate it by lighting Neris, and we say Halal. But we celebrate the catalyst as well, and so much so that we make a deal even out of the cheese, which had a small role in the nace. Why is the catalyst so important? And I think it's so important because that's really the only part we do. Hashem does the Nisim. The rebellions and large movements in Klai Yisrael require tremendous siyata dishmai. And many different forces have to come to play at the same time. 
Yehuda was, Yehuda was a special leader. Klai Yisrael was in the right position to be motivated. The Yavanim were at a point where Hashem had decreed their reign to end, and so on and so forth. All these things were all out of our control. The one thing which was in our control was our spirit, our mysterious nefesh, our desire never to give up, never to give in, not to compromise on our Kedusha and our values. And that was the catalyst for everything. And it's what we really celebrate because it's what we can really emulate. What Yehuda did was to demonstrate that there's a line in the sand which can't be crossed. When the nations of the world want to break the resolve of Yudin to stay pure, that's when it's not worth living anymore. And that's what she demonstrated to everyone. And that's why the Hashemunah began the rebellion against impossible odds relying on an ace because there was just no point not doing so. And we each see specifically to demonstrate that it was a very small little thing, as unimportant as cheese, which was able to bring the downfall of the mightiest general of the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time. So we don't need to pull off gigantic acts. We need to do the small ones that we're entrusted to do. The Midrashim seems to say that when we say Giboyrim Biyad Chaloshim, mighty ones in the hands of the weak, we're specifically referring to the general that died at the hands of Yehudas. Women were regarded as chaloshim in terms of war. And for a mighty general to be killed by a woman was the ultimate humiliation for the enemy. And Hashem wanted it to happen this way because might and strength and power was not the message or the point of Hanukkah. Spirit, resolve, that was the message. Fire, an indomitable soul was what won the war. And that's what Hashem wanted us to take out of the nace of Hanukkah, and that's how we celebrate those little, little things that we were able to do that ultimately sparked all the Nisim that followed. And just when I leave one nice remez I saw about cheese or, or milk products is that the Isis of Cholov, Ches Lamid Beis, is the Rosh Tevis for Lahagid, that's the Lamid, Babaiker, that's the Beis, because that also is something we do on Hanukkah. We say, and it's the overwhelming message of Hanukkah as well for us to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu and thank Him for the Nisim He does all the time in our lives. Some of them are the open ones and some of them are the hidden ones. And to take the time on Hanukkah to think about it, to appreciate it, and to thank Hashem for it. Have a good Shabbos and a Freil Hanukkah.